What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Locked on Golden Knights, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. It is Wednesday, March 18th for the second time today. The podcast is dropping. Everything is fine. As I alluded to uh, in earlier in today's episode, in the second part of our five-part series, I uh, did not get the episode up in time on a Tuesday. So you're getting double dip on Wednesday. And today is part three of our five-part discussion of reliving year one of the Vegas Golden Knights, in which today we will look back at the regular season, not really as a whole, but we will discuss the main points that led us to how the Golden Knights proceeded to have the greatest expansion season in sports history. And I mean, sports have been going on for, what, a few millennia maybe? Uh, The Golden Knights are the best team to ever come into the gate year one and pretty much run folks over. So we are going to have a little bit of fun talking about that. But before we do, hello, friends. How are we doing? Hope you're having a good Wednesday. Hope you're getting through the rest of the work week. If you are working from home, great. Um, if you're you know, struggling with whatever's happening with this crazy world right now, I hope I can provide some solace and some entertainment for you in today's episode. But welcome back, everybody. My name is Danny Webster. I am your host, and I do appreciate you stopping by for today. Uh, before we get started, usual housekeeping items, you guys know the deal, especially to those who are stumbling upon this podcast for the very first time, as this is a daily podcast talking about the Vegas Golden Knights here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you consume your podcasting. You can follow the show on Twitter at LockdownVGK, you can follow me on Twitter at DannyWebster21, or you can send an email to LockdownGoldenKnights at gmail.com if that suits your fancy, and again, welcome aboard. So, if you haven't listened to the first two episodes, totally understandable, but I would, do, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those first two episodes. First one, we looked at the expansion draft last episode uh, that came out earlier today. We went ahead and discussed, in retrospect, the entire preseason uh, and the days following that, which included uh, 1 October. That also included the first three games in the regular season. And it was just a grand old time reliving those games. Now we're going to look at pretty much the other 79 or close to the rest of the 79, or at least the main storylines that I remember fondly from that time. And, you know, you figure you go into the following game after the Arizona game and you're like, wow, they're three and oh, everything is just crazy. They're running rampant. And then the Golden Knights face the Detroit Red Wings in T-Mobile arena and the Golden Knights, lose 6-3 to three against Detroit. Not only did they lose a game, they lost Marc-Andre Fleury, who had been absolutely incredible in the first three games of the Golden Knights' young season. He goes down with a concussion. Uh, for some ungodly reason to this day, stayed in the game. No one knows how. No one knows why. But that would begin the chain of events of losing Marc-Andre Fleury for two months in which the Golden Knights would begin a adventure of using so many dang goalies. And that started the following game after the 6-3 loss to Detroit. A home date with the Boston Bruins. And the opposing goaltender on that side was none other than Malcolm Subban, the goaltender who the Golden Knights acquired on waivers from Boston to essentially replace... Uh, Calvin Pickard, who was traded to Toronto just before the season. So instead of carrying three, they went with two, and they decided to go with the young gun. And Malcolm Subban makes 21 saves, and he was 30 seconds away from a shutout 
against his former team and a 3-1 victory for the Golden Knights over the Boston Bruins in moving the Golden Knights to 4-1. Two nights later, they welcomed the Buffalo Sabres, and it looked like they were on their way to a comfortable win over Buffalo, but a late surge from Buffalo. I believe they scored three goals in the final 10 minutes of the third period. Game goes into overtime, and David Perron wins it to put Vegas at 5-1. and one. An incredible start for this team. Then things start getting a little crazy. The St. Louis Blues come to town, and the Golden Knights, again, 5-1 and one in the midst of a seven-game homestand. The Golden Knights welcome the Blues. Malcolm Subban is, by all accounts, playing very, very well. He'd only given up one goal at the time, and that was the opening goal. Vegas has a 2-1 lead in the third period, and then Malcolm Subban goes down. Malcolm Subban gets hurt. And in comes goalie number three, Oscar Dance. Oscar Dance comes into the fold. He gives up a goal on the very first shot from Alex Petrangelo. The game goes into overtime. And then the goal that I think started this whole thing in overtime, William Carlson scores in overtime to give Vegas a 3-2 win in overtime. Now, the reason why I say that goal changed everything no one really knew who William Carlson was. Unless you were out, if you weren't outside Columbus, maybe Anaheim, unless you are a full on hockey nerd that follows the draft at every onset, no one really thought that William Carlson was going to evolve into the player that he was. And I mean, you're talking about a guy who had been stuck on the bottom six mainly for his entire time in Columbus and Anaheim, and all of a sudden he scores that one goal on a one timer from the right circle. And all of a sudden, the floodgates just open for William Carlson. He turns out to become not only just really an X factor, he becomes at point, at some point, the Golden Knights' best player on this roster. He becomes the guy who is playing like a selkie candidate. He becomes the guy who scores goals night in and night out. He becomes the guy who is really a primary playmaker for what would eventually become the top line of Carlson, Marchessault, and Smith. Those two, Marchessault and Smith, would go on to have incredible seasons. William Carlson would go on to score 43 goals, as we all know. And that top line was by far statistically the best top line in all of hockey. Now, if you if you had doubts that they could replicate that beyond year one, I don't blame you under any circumstances. But it was that goal that I think started it all. It was his first, and no one thought that it was going to score 43, but the fact that he scored that goal and that what he was able to do to build off that momentum was absolutely ridiculously huge. Then the next game, October 24th, against the Chicago Blackhawks. The game in which I think everybody decided to finally take this team seriously at least through eight games. Because, okay, you beat Arizona twice, cool. You beat Dallas, you beat Boston, okay. Can you do it against a team that has been one of the biggest dynasties of this decade? And the Golden Knights, with Oscar Dansk in goal, beat the Blackhawks 4-2 to two in 
I've seen T-Mobile Arena be split a lot when it comes to fans. This was the first time where I looked at it and I said, man, this is probably the biggest split of maybe 60-40 Blackhawks to Golden Knights fans that I've ever seen. William Carlson scored another goal, his second straight game. Tomas Nosek scored, Pierre-Edouard Belmar scored, then Marcheseau scored in the third period. They went up 4-1. Patrick Kane got a garbage goal, but it was 4-2. Oscar Dansk is on a roll. He's won his last two games. And then if that weren't big enough, Nevada Day, that same week, first afternoon matinee game for Vegas, Oscar Dansk pitches a shutout in a 7-0 victory for the Golden Knights over the Avalanche in a game in which Oscar Dance became the first goalie in Golden Knights history. Not Marc-Andre Fleury, not Malcolm Subban. It was Oscar Dansk who recorded the first shutout in Golden Knights history to give the Golden Knights a 7-0 victory and an 8-1 start. Going into their first big road trip, a six-game Eastern Conference road trip, which they really struggled against. <laughs> they lost five of their next six because Oscar Dance gets hurt. And who's there to back him up? Max Legacy. Max Legacy has to come in in relief against the Islanders. He loses that game, loses the next night against the Rangers, loses in Boston. They beat Ottawa, which was a fantastic grinding win. They lose in a shootout to Toronto, and then they lose at Montreal. So, okay, 8-1, and one, you lose five of your next six, and all of a sudden, the sky might be falling, right? The sky might be falling. And even in the process of that, the Golden Knights found a way to win six of their next seven. The only loss in that stretch, surprisingly enough, 8-2 to two in Edmonton. Maxim Legacy got pulled in favor of Dylan Ferguson. Dylan Ferguson comes in and gives up a goal, but he makes a save on Connor frickin' McDavid, which if he were to go into the Vegas Hall of Fame tomorrow, he would absolutely have that enshrined on his plaque or etched in his plaque, whatever term you want to use. Uh, Dylan Ferguson got some play, and the Golden Knights would go on to win six of their next seven games heading in to Thanksgiving. We're going to get back to our Golden Knights discussion about their inaugural season in just a little bit. But first, guys, I want to take a little bit of time to tell you about my friends at Homie. Yes, I know I've been talking about Homie for the last week or so, but I'm here to remind you that Homie is designed to make your home buying and selling experience that much easier. Now, my wife and I are still in the process of buying home. With this coronavirus scare, we're going to probably put it on hold for a little bit. And hopefully, when we're ready to go, we are definitely going to go with Homie. Now, when I first heard about Homie, I went on their website, right? I checked out their website and saw that they were in Arizona, they were in Utah. My brother and I were talking about them the other day because he lives in Utah. And he was telling me about how a lot of people use Homie in Utah to help better themselves with the real estate. That experience has come to Las Vegas and they want to help you out. Now, here's the thing that works best with Homie. It's a team of agents. It, it's all tech-based, right? So it's all online. It's, te- it's a team of agents. They do not charge you high commission rates, and they only charge you a one-time flat fee 
when your house sells. We're talking about a $2,500, $2,500, if I could talk correctly, that'd be great, $2,500 listing fee when your home sells, and you can get $250 off that listing fee if you use the promo code NIGHTS. And how do you do that? You text the word NIGHTS to 88588. That's NIGHTS to 88588. Real estate is taking on a whole new ball game. Long gone are the days where you actually have to drive around a, drive around a neighborhood and look at a house and say, oh, then that's the house I want, and call the agent. The agent never calls you back. Homie is committed to making sure your experience goes over as smoothly as possible. And my friends at Homie also want you to know that they are an official partner of the Vegas Golden Knights. So, of course, you know that if they want to connect you you, a Vegas Golden Knights fan, in the right direction, that's the way to go. All you got to do is text Knights to 88588 to get more details and to get $250 off your listing fee. Again, that is Homie, H-O-M-I-E. So here is the other crazy thing about this whole ordeal when it came to the Golden Knights. They won the six of seven, and then they lose the three straight, right? Then they go on this run where part of it was Max Legacy did everything he could to keep them afloat in which he did. Malcolm Subban also returned from injury at this point. So finally, your goalie situation now back forth is now Malcolm Subban and Max Legacy. You're sitting pretty right now if you're the Golden Knights who, after this three-game losing streak, were just 15-9-1. Like 15-9-1 with all the injuries that you've had at the goaltending position ridiculous how you even got to that point. So then the Golden Knights go on this run of winning, if I can do the math correctly, 12 of the next 13, including an eight-game winning streak, which was the longest in team history and still remains the longest in team history to this point. I mean, you look at the, the, you look at the teams they beat, right? You got Arizona. You beat Anaheim. You beat Nashville in a shootout. That was Malcolm Subban's defining moment right there. Forget the Boston game. He goes into Nashville against his brother PK and wins in a shootout. I think Eric Halla also tied the game on a, with the extra attacker in the third period, if I'm not mistaken. Then they beat Dallas in Dallas. And I believe that was the dad's trip, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was the dad's trip. So they beat Dallas. Then they go, to, they go back home. Marc-Andre Fleury returns in net. They play the Carolina Hurricanes. They lose 3-2 to two in a shootout, but then win their next eight. What? <laughs> so a 13-game point streak, essentially. And by the time we got to January 2nd, 27-9-2 after a 3-0 shutout win over the Predators who came to Team Mobile Arena that day. And you, you could basically write a book on all the games that happened in that stretch. The first one that comes to mind, obviously, following the Carolina game, flurry against Pittsburgh for the first time, two to one victory. Then first time against Florida, first time Gerard Gallant faces Florida, first time Jonathan Marshall and Riley Smith faces Florida. They win five to two. The very next game, Tampa Bay Stanley cup final preview might still be early, too early to tell, but the Tampa Bay Lightning, who have been a model of performance consistency for the better part of the last three years, coming to T-Mobile Arena 
They put three power play goals on the board. And of course, it's a power play goal to end it. Shea Theodore's goal with 2.3 seconds to go. I have never changed my game story so quickly at the drop of a dime than I did in that moment, just because it was the first time I ever had to go, well, have to erase all that and then redo everything else. And that was one hell of a time. I had never heard of a building get that loud. That was absolutely insane. Then, four days later, in maybe another Stanley Cup Final Preview, we weren't sure yet at the time, the Washington Capitals, Ovechkin, Oshie, Backstrom, Carlson, Wilson, all these guys come into Las Vegas and the Golden Knights blank them. 3 nothing heading into Christmas. So the Golden Knights win their fourth consecutive game halfway through this winning streak, 23-9-2 after beating Washington. And then they go at Anaheim, at LA, back-to-back, win 4-1-3-2. And then we get to New Year's Eve against Toronto. And William Carlson records the first hat trick in Golden Knights history, 6-3 to three over the Maple Leafs, and then the 3 nothing victory over Nashville to essentially put this city into mass hysteria. This team, by January 2nd, 27-9-2. They would go on to win two more and lose one more to put themselves at 29-10-2 at the midway mark of the season and essentially put a stranglehold of first place in the Pacific Division. Then there was a little bit of up and down. There wasn't really a lot of consistency for about the next month or so. They come back home and defeat. I mean, you lose to Philadelphia 4-1, to one, but you beat Chicago again. You beat Edmonton, you beat Montreal, you lose to Anaheim, but you come back to beat Calgary, and then you beat Vancouver. Then comes the fun, the trade deadline. The trade deadline that almost brought Eric Carlson to the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, I know that this has been... I know this has been touched on before, but when a lot of people, including myself, say that the Golden Knights were mere moments away from acquiring Eric Carlson in a trade with the Ottawa Senators, it's not smoke. From my understanding, when the deal was inching closer, and we're talking about like minutes to go for the deadline, as my understanding it was, the deal was centered around Cody Glass, Alex Tuck, and a second round pick. That was what Ottawa was looking for in the moments leading up to the deadline. But clearly, as you see, Cody Glass is still on this team two years later. That's because when the Golden Knights were fielding calls from Ottawa in exchange for Eric Carlson, at no point did the name Cody Glass knock him off the table. The Senators wanted Cody Glass more than any prospect that the Golden Knights had in their field. And every time the Senators approached them with a package, even at one point, the Senators countered with Eric Carlson and a third to Vegas to kind of sweeten the pot a little bit. The Golden Knights said no, because Cody Glass 
at the time, and he might still be at this point, was deemed untouchable to teams around the league. So when talks finally died down, the next best thing for the Golden Knights was to send a first, a second, and a third to the Detroit Red Wings for Tomas Tatar, which was a very high gamble. Because, one, that's a lot of draft capital for a guy that doesn't really produce that much in a middle six. And two, you're asking him to come in to a brand new system and hope that he adjusts accordingly. So instead of getting the guy you hoped you were going to get from Ottawa to essentially put yourself in position to make that defense as formidable as it can be and you get the quarterback for the power play that you wanted, turns out that... You miss out on him because Cody Glass was deemed untouchable and you go with Tomas Tatar. The Golden Knights go out of the deadline, which, by the way, that wasn't even the biggest part of the deadline because who would have thought that the biggest move that the Golden Knights would make in the deadline was not Tomas Tatar. It was actually getting Ryan Reeves. Getting Ryan Reeves in the deal, in the multi-team deal that eventually landed Derek Broussard God, I can't even remember where Derek Broussard went to at that point. I think he went to I think he went to Pittsburgh at that time, right? So in order to take on really cap space, the Golden Knights took on a portion of Derek Broussard's salary, and they also took Ryan Reeves back from the Penguins. Ryan Reeves, who has no real connection to this team as far as playing style goes, because it's far from anything Vegas was doing. By this point, which, by the way, once again, going into the trade deadline, Vegas was 41-16-5. So it's not like they really needed to do anything drastic. But they felt that Ryan Reeves, in the words of George McPhee, was going to keep the flies off the honey. Those were the ter- that was the term that George McPhee used to describe Ryan Reeves. And that's what he did. Ryan Reeves did not score many goals. He did not record many points. He didn't even play that much on the fourth line, but when you needed him to deliver a big hit and stick up for his teammates, by God, did he ever. And so the Golden Knights go for Eric Carlson, end up only getting Ryan Reeves and Tomas Tatar, in which the Golden Knights still were finding their way through the rest of this regular season, again, trying to adjust and trying to get to the finish line of winning the Pacific Division title. The Golden Knights played the Colorado Avalanche on March 26th. A win would get them a playoff spot in their first year, and that's exactly what happened. A 4-1 to victory for Vegas over Colorado. They would go on to lose to Arizona, beat St. Louis in overtime, and then on March 31st against the San Jose Sharks, the game that is dubbed the between-the-legs game, William Carlson's shorthanded goal between the legs, roofs it over Martin Jones. You know the story as many times as we've told it. 3-2, to two, Sharks win. Golden Knights clinch the Pacific Division on March 31st. They would go on to beat Vancouver in a shootout and a couple nights later and then lose to Edmonton and Calgary to finish their season 51-24-7 with a Pacific Division title and an eventual first-round date with the Los Angeles Kings. Did you catch all that? <laughs> that was about, that was a lot to digest there. Um, my memories from year one 
the first thing that comes to mind, obviously when everyone thinks of year one, they think of the Carlson goal. And when you're watching it live, I've never seen a player go so slow. It, it was like time stood still for a little bit as Carlson's coming up the left side and is coming up on Martin Jones and he puts the puck between his legs. And at first, when you see it live, you're thinking to yourself, there's no way that puck went in. Because I thought that, at least looking at it live, not on the TV, I thought Jones got a stick on it. But Carlson made the move and roofed it over him. And it was the greatest thing I think I've ever seen. It was definitely the goal of the season. I don't think anybody will ever disagree with that. But it was definitely one of the more amazing moments. And the fact that not only did that break a 2-2 tie against a division rival, that broke a 2-2 tie to win the Pacific Division and ensure you're getting at least two home series, two, two series in the playoffs at home ice advantage. And that was your 50th win of the season. Like, how do you, you don't write a better script than that. Much like you don't write a script when Shea Theodore scores with 2.3 seconds left in a game against the Tampa Bay Lightning, where that game was as it was as good as advertised. That game was incredible. Vegas went toe-to-toe, toe-for-toe, toe-to-toe, toe-for-toe, whatever you want to call it. They went mano-a-mano with the dangerous Tampa Bay Lightning and won that game. And like I said, I had my story pretty much written. It was all good to go. It was ready. It was done. It was at least ready enough to where if it went to overtime, all I got to do was plug a couple of things in, and it's good to go. Theodore scores that goal. The root, the building goes crazy, and I'm like, well, crap. Fast filing, got to do it all over again. It was That game was absolutely incredible. Uh, Flurry's first game against Pittsburgh, another incredible game. It wasn't in Pittsburgh. It was the game in Vegas, and he shut the door. I mean, Sidney Crosby didn't score. Malkin didn't score. It was one of those games where I think it was destined for Marc-Andre Fleury to win that game, and he did. He came up big when his team needed him most, and they got the big victory there. Uh, the first game against Washington, I, I remember that game as well. Even the game in Washington on February 4th, which I believe was Super Bowl Sunday, and I think Ryan Carpenter, who had just been claimed on waivers, scored the winning goal in that game. So there were so many storybook moments that you can just look to. I mean, the first hat trick for Carlson, Carlson's natural hat trick against, uh, who was it, Calgary? Yeah, it was the natural hat trick against Calgary. Just all these games that you look back and you just go, you could write a book literally on almost every single game that happened. You could write a short story on a lot of games that happened. I mean, I even think back to the dad's trip, the Nashville game where they won in the shootout where Subban got the win. Uh, the Dallas game the following day was Max Legacy getting the victory in Dallas. I mean, you just look up and down this schedule and you're just amazed that this team went as far as it did. And it went as far as it did based on a lot of guys that you really didn't imagine that could turn into what they would become. I mean, you go back, you look at their stats overall to finish it out. William Carlson, their leading point scorer at 78 points. He had the 43 goals, which was, in, even in itself, was ridiculous. Jonathan Marshall had 75 points, but he had 48 assists. 
David Perron was right behind him with 50 assists, and he had 66 points. Riley Smith had 22 goals and 38 assists. This team was all about passing the puck. This team was all about not worrying about who's going to get what stat, who's going to get what goal. This team passed the puck, and they passed it extremely, extremely well. Eric Halla, 26 assists to go with his 29 goals, nearly had a 30-goal season. James Neal had 19 assists to go with his 25 goals. I mean, obviously, Neal cooled down after the first few games, but when he needed to score a big goal, he did. And Colin Miller was their leading scoring defenseman with 41 points. Alex Tuck had 15 goals and 22 assists in 78 games. Nate Schmidt had a career-best 36 points. I mean, you go down the list, Shea Theodore had 29 points in 61 games. I mean, you name it. Brad Hunt even had 18 points. Belmar had 16 points. You, you go up and down the list here, and you're just amazed at how many people contributed the way that they did. And then you even get to the goaltending. Marc-Andre Fleury had the best statistical season of his career. 29-13-4, and 9.27 save percentage, 2.24 GAA. How he did not end up being a Vesna finalist to this day, I still do not know. Like, if you were going to give him one year where he could have been a Vesna finalist, I don't know if the concussion would have skewed those stats a little bit, but the fact that he came back from the concussion in the final four months and went about as better as any goalie in the league, you had all the th- you had to think that if Fleury could have replicated that in the playoffs, which he would eventually somewhat do, then the Golden Knights were going to win the Stanley Cup, which also seemed unfathomable. I mean, you look at also Malcolm Subban went 13-4-2, which was incredible, 9-10 save percentage, 2-6 AGAA. Max Legacy, 6-7-1, Save percentage was god-awful, and GAA was also god-awful, but when he he made some important starts, and he delivered in big-time moments. Oscar Dansk won all three of his starts. It's a shame that he's probably never going to see the Golden Knights ice ever again. And then Dylan Ferguson. Two shots seen, one goal allowed, one save, and of course, it was on Connor McDavid. I'm not sure if you knew that. So all in all, that that's the regular season. That is the Golden Knights regular season in a nutshell. 51-24-7 Pacific Division champions. An incredible run in which they also went 29-10-2 at home. And now they got to go to the playoffs, starting with a first-round date against the Los Angeles Kings, which is where we will pick up tomorrow for part four, going through the first three rounds of the Stanley Cup playoffs before Friday's uh, Friday's episode against the Washington Capitals. So that, my friends, will do it for me today. I thank you ever so much for joining me today. hope it was a fun, enjoyable part for you, and I hope, again, that you enjoyed yourself in this trip down memory lane. First of all, before before we get out of here, though, uh, Postmates, I, I know a lot of you might be uh, ordering online nowadays, not wanting to go out. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. So if you've been thinking about ordering food in, might want to get on that. Uh, to start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app and use the code LOCKEDONNHL to get $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. And I'm telling you what, considering the fact that I used to use Postmates uh, a boatload 
when I was working my overnight job, Postmates will be your friend. Trust me. Also, if you haven't already, check out the Locked On NHL National Show, host by Sarah Avampato, uh, talking about all the biggest happenings in the sports world. I mean, right now it might be a little bit tough because not a lot happening in the sports world. But give it a give it a listen and let Sarah know that Locked On Golden Knights sent you her way. All right, guys, that will do it for me today. Tomorrow again, rounds one, two, and three in Reliving Year One. Our four part, our part four of our five part series continues tomorrow with a fun little playoffs discussion. So look forward to that. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, if you uh, if you've enjoyed these parts, if you've enjoyed this series, now please let me know. Uh, again, you can go back and find parts one and two and put them in conjunction with part three here tonight. So thank you guys for listening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Thank you for sharing, listening, downloading, subscribing, all that jazz. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow for part four of Reliving Year One. Until then, I am Danny Webster. This has been Locked On Golden Knights, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I will see you tomorrow. Have a good one! Hey!